Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Peter Lyon. I am the campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship over at Christopher Newport University. It's my pleasure to get to share the word this morning. Um, It's not my pleasure that it's still so hot out. Uh, You see, I'm from the north, uh, and I'm ready for it to be fall. But it is, despite the fact that I've seen leaves on the ground and leaves changing, it still continues. That real feel still keeps pushing 100. So I kind of have to just tell myself the story. Fall is coming. Fall is coming. It's important. It's important we tell ourselves these stories. I remember after uh, COVID quarantine ended, um, we had to write little social stories, like little storybooks for my son and daughter about going back to church and going back to school. Because it was powerful for them to know what was going to happen. It's like, hey, we're going to go to church for a little while. You know, there's going to be loud music. We will talk with people. You'll go to children's church. Afterwards, you get a treat. They really liked that part. But you could always tell, and we did these for a couple things, going back to school, going to church, you know, going to the doctor. And you could always tell when one was effective because it would get repeated again and again. Or what the thing that really mattered was like, and afterwards we get a popsicle. Like you could tell what the, the, the powerful thing is. And I think that's, there's something in that. And we see in children, we see this, something that's true about all of us. We are, as much as we like to think that we're like these rational, like argument people, we're actually narrative driven. The story that we tell ourselves really matters. You know, and you'll, you can start to realize what the story that you tell yourself is and, and what are those little things you repeat to yourself often. Well, today we're going to read a passage of scripture. We're going to just jump into uh, the middle of a book. We're going to read chapter of, of, of the book of Micah, Micah 4. And we're going to see in it a little bit of the end of the story and a little bit of those almost mantra-like things that we need to say to ourselves to remember, to repeat, to motivate us. So let's turn with me, if you will, to the book of Micah, chapter four. It's right in between, you know, it's right at the end of the Old Testament before those gospels start. You can find it. It's not a huge book, but it's one of my favorites. So we're going to be reading from Micah chapter four. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples, shall decide for strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the people... Walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. 
And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. But now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? Has pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now, now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. But there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze, and you shall beat to pieces many peoples, shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Heavenly Father, I pray as we enter into your word together, that your spirit would speak through it, that though we encounter in ancient prophecy things that are strange and confusing to us, that you would make them clear that you would make our hope clear to us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned it there in my prayer, but as we come across this thing, this document that's possibly about 2,700 years old, there are things in it that were like, all right, I was with you for a little while, and then it got a little weird. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going we're gonna to talk about it, but we also need to talk about the fact that that as we come back to the Old Testament, as we come back, especially to Old Testament prophecy, we come back knowing something that the prophets themselves did not know. You know, uh, Peter in his epistles talks about how we have the access to, the, to, the know, to knowing the mystery that the, that the prophets would have longed to have known. That they served us in, in giving us this prophecy, but they longed to know about the person and character of Jesus Christ. That though they speak about redemption, and God's coming day, they didn't know how God would bring that to pass. We have that, that we can now read back into it. But there is something very beautiful here. There is a beautiful hope for us. And we're going to talk about that as we move through this in three uh, distinct sections. We're going to talk about hope for the future. We're going to talk about hope for the hurting. And then we're going to talk about how that gives us hope for the present. And that's where we're going to go. All right, so let's start with these first five verses. Um, we, right off the bat, come to a few things that I think need a little of that translation for us, that I don't expect you to know this, because right off the bat, it starts talking about how in the, how in the later days and how this glorious future, God's going to make a really big mountain. And you're like, okay, that's like not high on my priority list, but cool. Something really important to know about the ancient Near East is that mountaintops, hills, high places um, were places of worship. And the higher the place, the more holy. And there weren't really precise measuring, so you could argue about which place was more holy. What God's saying is, when, when this comes to pass in the latter days, it's not going to be a question who is the most holy. It is not going to be a question who is God. I am going to make it very clear that I am God, that I am holy, 
and all the peoples of the world shall flow to me. And this is another one that, that you might not realize. This is a euphemism, the peoples flowing to it, that at the time was used for Babylon. For thousands of years was used for Babylon. Babylon, it's hard for us to grasp the length of time Babylon existed. How powerful its cultural sway is for thousands of years. As empires rose and fall, Babylon was this city that just drew people to it from all over the world. Its ancientness is, is honestly hard to fathom. Uh, the best, yeah, we can't really compli- I think comprehend the, the oldness and the, the cultural power of Babylon. But we can, I could say it's like, hey, remember like right out of college when all your friends moved to New York City? Uh, that's for the Northeast. I don't know. Was it? Uh, I don't know. This equivalent down here, L.A. Similarly, Chicago for the Midwest. There's that thing that's like they couldn't help it. There's like a magnet that just pulls people there. You know, it's like, hey, you know that. You know that thing. That's going to be people being pulled to the Lord, and His goodness and His righteousness. So what do we have here? We have, a, we have a sneak preview of the end of the story. And it's a really beautiful ending. No longer will there be war and conflict. No longer will be there a question of like what is right and wrong. No longer will there be a question even of justice. The God is going to be sitting there judging, making good judgments. I think sometimes we have a, like a bad like sensation about judgment day, but like hear it in this context, like right and wrong will be clearly declared. People will be, will have a place to go for justice where it will be done correctly and righteously. Like this is a beautiful image. Injustice is ending. Strife is ending. The peoples are coming to God from all over. This is really beautiful. And it's really important for us to grasp this because the, the end of the story really matters. Having a hope that the end of the story is a good end of the story. It's really what anybody like, I love reading. I love novels. I love fiction. I'll, you know, love classics and things like that, but I'll also just read whatever everybody else is reading sometimes too. And I remember like 20 years ago, everybody was reading this one book. It was like about a hostage situation. So everybody's like, this is an amazing book. Just don't read the epilogue at the end. It's terrible and it ruins the whole book. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can read it and I can just leave those like five pages alone. So I try and read it. And it's like, this is a really good book. Like, I'm really enjoying this. I don't see how five pages could ruin this whole book. And I'm sitting there and I and even like stop. I stop and I put it away. But it just nags at me. It's like, well, now I want to see how bad a train wreck those five pages could possibly be. They were terrible. The two random people get married. It's like, does the author even understand why everybody else liked her book? No, this is bad. And it ruined it. I've never reread that book. I've never recommended that book. I think it's called Bel Canto. I'm sorry if you love it. We want an ending that makes sense of it all. We want an ending that pulls all the threads together. And here we have God saying, hey, all those things you're noticing that are wrong, 
I have a plan to fix them all. I love how she says it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. All the sad things becoming untrue. And this beautiful vision of peace, of sitting under the things that we cultivate and grow at peace. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it combats the cynicism in our hearts that, that looks out on the injustice and the hurt in this world that, has a, has a, that, wants to, that, that just feels like it's easier to believe that we're just in this cycle of violence and evil. And God says, no, no, it's not an unending wheel of pain, but no, we are traveling somewhere. We are in a narrative and that narrative has a full, beautiful, joyful ending. And that's really powerful. Because it's not just hopeful for the people for whom things are going well. You're probably like, why did he have the rest of this passage where it got super weird in there? I think there's some really important stuff. As he moves on from this vision of the future, he starts to talk about who, he, who it is that he is rescuing for this future. Is it the strong, the beautiful, the perfectly righteous? No, the lame, those who've been driven away, those whom I have afflicted. No one's, no one's marching triumphantly into this future. God is gathering up people for this future, the peoples for this future, and he is doing the rescuing. Honestly, this is one of those sections where, with what we know of Jesus, we need to read something back into this prophecy. Because how could God, the same God who, like, who are the people that God has afflicted? Who are the people that he has driven away? The people that God has punished. The people who God is saying, like, you have not followed my commands. You have done evil. You have made war. God is going to gather them back too. God is going to gather the victims, the lame, the hurt, the injured, along with the victimizers and somehow make out of them a people. How is this possible? How can he take the broken and condemned and make them a people of righteousness? Well, we know now, don't we? Through the work of Jesus. Not through a list of rules or commands that they will follow that will reform them, but because the Son of God stepped down into creation and bore the sin and the hurt and the shame of this world and was willing to die for these people, the unworthy, to make them his. You know, sometimes I have a feeling, I, I have this feeling in myself that I take this story for granted. That I take what Jesus accomplished for granted. And let me explain to you how. There's sort of a different ending to the same Jesus story. You know, before Jesus, you, could, you, you, you have the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like, God, how, why? None of this is fair. But now, God a member of the, the Trinity has stepped down into creation, not just like perfectly formed and rich, 
but born into poverty as a little child in a stable, in a barn, under occupation of a foreign power. He lived a, a, Jesus lived a hard life and he lived it perfectly and he lived it well with compassion and love for everyone whom he encountered. And at the end of that life, he was crucified unjustly for a crime he did not commit. And three days later, he rose from the dead. If that Jesus stood in judgment of us, what argument could we make against him? That he doesn't understand what it's like? You don't understand the life I've had to live? Good luck with that one. Remember, born in a barn. But instead, instead of standing in judgment, instead of coming into this world merely to condemn this world, he decided to redeem this world by that same act. That his death would not be the final judgment on humanity, but it would be the sacrifice that paid the cost of it. I... This is a very silly analogy for what Jesus did. But I remember back um, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I was a part of a very active pickup soccer league. And it got very popular and some very good players started coming out. People who were way too good to be playing with us, like semi-pro players and things like that. Having the best guy on your team wasn't always the best, though. There were some guys like D1 soccer players who come back who would like make you look really good. It's like, I just scored a header. It's like, he kind of just kicked the ball off your face and into the goal. But cool, you feel like part of the team. He's cheering for you. That's great. There was one guy, he was a South American semi-pro player though. He just made you feel so bad. You would win a lot with him on the team, but it was like everything he did, it's like, oh, you missed this pass. You should have put it right to me right here. And it was like this, it was this intense guilt and shame to play along with him because he was so good. And just like, and I am just not. I'm pickup soccer competent. We take it for granted that Jesus lifts us up, that we need this rescuer and that he came. Man, we live in such an era of self-actualization, self-realization, self-justification. And like that works for like 1% of people. Who can have an ins- who can post on their Instagram and look good, and the rest it's just so depressing. The hope of outside rescue, of an identity that comes, that is given to us, that is granted to us, is a beautiful hope. It's a powerful hope. A hope that says, "I know I can't. I know." Like think about this: the the cast off. And the afflicted like, I know I'm suffering the consequences of my own actions. I need a rescuer. For God to say yes. And I have shown you mercy. And I will gather you up. And this beautiful future that I have earned is here for you. Is a beautiful hope in the midst of hurting that may or may not be our own fault. And that's an important hope to have as we engage with the present. 
And, and Micah takes this and turns this because he's talked about all these wonderful things. He's like, and then it's like in the latter days, in the latter days is hopeful, hopeful. Now, now is not so hopeful for you. Now you're in the midst of the consequences of your choices. Now you're in the midst of sometimes the consequences of other people's choices that you are bearing the hurt and the, and the shame of. And now it feels like nothing can go right. You know, one day there won't be this thing like Babylon that's pulling all the peoples to it. There'll be instead a better, good, righteous thing. Yeah, well, now there's still Babylon and Babylon is coming for you. What do we do with that? Well, the prophet Micah tells us, even now, amidst your groaning, your weeping, your real true affliction and exile, you are not alone. Your hope is still real. There is suffering, just as Christ Our Lord suffered. But we will be rescued. God has a plan. God has a plan. And it's not a plan. He's not like, so now, now that you know this, Israel, how are you going to try harder? How are you going to do better? No. (laughs) No. It's like, do you know, there's something good worth enduring for. And there's a strength that's coming that's not from you. I think we need to talk about uh, 12 and 13. Probably a little weird for us. You know, I was like, I would like to imagine myself a bull that's made powerful by the spirit of the Lord to thresh the other nations. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking in the gym. Um, I do know that I would like uh, the Philadelphia Eagles to stop putting Philippians 4.13 and start putting Micah 4.13 on there. If I see Jalen Hurts come out with that, I know we're going to win the game. Fullback hitting the A-gap, a rise and thresh, big guy. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? What are we doing here? Where is the, what is the transformation that is happening? You know, uh, Israel is facing really the, the, the very severe risk of powerful nations that are coming to it. You know, that is the fear that it has. And the Lord says, you will not triumph by your own strength, but I can make you strong. Our fears might be different. Our terror might be different. Our anxiety might be different. The Lord says, the strength and the hope that you have does not come from within yourself. But I can make you strong. I can make you strong to endure. It's really a beautiful thing. And, I'll, and, and this is sort of to kind of gather all this up. The, the really, the beautiful thing when we read this is with, with the knowledge of Christ is to, is to grasp that as we see this beautiful direction that we are going, this wonderful end of the story, we, we grasp that Christ has welcomed us. Christ hasn't just made our story better. He's welcomed us into a better story. If we shed our main character syndrome, if we grasp that Christ is the main character of the great story, that we are moving to a place where him sitting on the throne is the best good that ever happened to us. 
we realize, we realize maybe as we, as we read these last couple verses, maybe as you read about the Holy Spirit of God with us, we, we recognize that we get to be active, not passive participants in God's beautiful story, not through our own strength, but through the strength that God gives us. That's a really important distinction for us to make. We get to be a part of this beautiful thing and God gives us the strength, the will, the righteousness to do it. It doesn't rely on our own ability, but it relies on God's power. We're meaningful in this story. That's really beautiful. We have things to do. We have beautiful, creative work. This image of this garden where there's cultivating beautiful work to do in God's story. And the peace and the power to do that comes from him. So what do we do? How do we, how do we make this hope real for us? I think often when, when I think of these things, when I think of, uh, of this stuff that just needs to be on our mind, I often think of the instructions I'll finish with this, that God gave to uh, Israel in Deuteronomy when he tells them his most important commandment. It's called the Shema. It's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, say it all the time. Tell it to your kids all the time. Wear tassels on your cloaks to remind you. Put it on your doorways. If you've ever... I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. All their doorways had little mezuzahs on them. It's a reminder that God is our best good. Remember that Jesus is your great story. Live in that story. Love that story. Repeat that story. Tell your children that story. You want an application for hope is you got to remind yourself that the hope exists. Read the Gospels. Remember how beautiful Jesus is. See in God's word how much he loves you. Read Revelation. Read Micah. Read the prophecies that remind us that one day each will sit under their vine and under their fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have welcomed us into a story far superior, far greater than any story we could have made or earned for ourselves. Lord, we are still in the midst of that. Even after finding it, still trying to strive and earn and do things for ourselves. Lord, help us to remember that all the power to do good, to do what is meaningful, the peace that we seek to achieve, Lord, that only comes from you. Help us to remember, to remember, to remember. To always be working on that, to re- on that remembering, because from that comes our joy, comes our strength, and comes our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.